Good afternoon. This is Living with Liberty, and I am your host, Ryan. Today I will talk about some of the wild theories and accusations I saw over the Christmas holiday weekend, as well as the incredibly wasteful spending of our government. I'll tie things up with what Mike Pence could do on January 6th as the electoral votes are counted. All next on Living with Liberty. The Christmas holiday weekend was interesting and also disturbing from a news and really a social media posting standpoint. The honest truth is people seem to be becoming more and more unhinged the closer and closer we get to January 20th. Whether it was some obscure clause that Mike Pence needed to invoke by Christmas Eve in order to challenge electoral votes to missiles hitting a major American city, it's quite honestly getting ridiculous out there the lack of critical thinking and conspiracy theories and fake news that is floating about. I'll address a couple of these items, as well as lay out what our government is actually doing or not doing as we are squabbling over things that have clear causes and effects. First, I'll start with what's being dubbed as the Pence card. Trump retweeted a call for Pence to toss out the electoral votes he believes were sent under fraudulent conditions. Now, the kicker here is that there was a report floating around that anonymous sources in the Trump administration determined that constitutionally, this action had to happen by the fourth Wednesday in December, which this year was the 23rd. Also attached was a supposed White House memo in circulation stating this as fact. As I looked at the memo, it looked quite fake to me, to be honest. Of course, December 23rd came and went without action, and Pence has now turned his back on Trump. Let's reason this out to see that this really is not the case. The first clue that this was absolute crap is that this is an anonymous source being cited. This isn't a national security issue. So who is a source? Why aren't they being named? Why aren't they coming forward owning up to this fact? Why wasn't Kaylee McEnany in front of the cameras touting this? What about the campaign's legal team? Where were they on it? Why weren't Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis in front of microphones playing this up? Second, Pence's role is tied to Trump being re-elected. Why would he sabotage his job as vice president by not enacting this clause if it were an actual thing. Third, the real date for Pence to challenge uh, the electoral votes is January 6th when the Congress meets to count electors. I have a couple of American Thinker articles that I will go through uh, in a little bit later in this episode that will address this issue further. Now, on to the Nashville missile conspiracy. Boy, did I have people try to light me up for... Uh, challenging and calling out how ridiculous of a theory this was. Uh, The bombing there was clearly a car bomb of some sort, not a missile shooting through the skies of a major American city. We sure have gone away from Occam's razor into the deep end and the tangled webs of what happened and why, and truthfully, conspiracy theories here. Now I've got a couple of uh, the major arguments, if you want to call them that, that I'm going to run through here, as well as what my response was to them. First, uh, the FBI was there within minutes. They knew. Well, let's look at this. There's an FBI field office in Nashville. Could that have been why they had such a quick response? 
Of course, I got no response to that observation. Don't get me wrong, the FBI, especially at the upper levels, has proven themselves to be a corrupt institution in need of a good house cleaning. I think at the lower levels are more trustworthy and more apt to do their jobs. Second, why was air traffic uh, halted in the area if it was a ground bomb? Well, let's think about this. The building in question is a regional hub for AT&T, and it's well known that all communications had been knocked out from this blast for miles and miles in all directions, basically within the region. That would be inclusive of the Nashville airport. No response from that, though I did have a pilot uh, back me up on this and say that it's standard procedure, as it is also done for fires on the ground and things of that nature. Third, there's different size missiles. Haven't you heard of drone missiles? Yes, when I made the post, I was very broad-based in my post and in saying that if it truly was a missile, it would have destroyed many city blocks and buildings. I kind of did that on purpose, really to get people to think and um, maybe kind of logically go through this step by step. Of course, I know we have weaponry that can be very targeted, that can penetrate a building and then explode and do all kinds of, you know, interesting things like that. But what I really wanted was for people to pause for a moment and really think about what they were saying. Instead of doing that, a lot doubled down on the missile. Fine, let's think for a second about that. Where did this missile launch from? Why would an armed drone or missile just be flying through our, our, our airspace undetected? How would a missile just fly through our airspace without anybody noticing and filming it and questioning it? I won't even get started on the horrible videos that people tried to cite and point me to that were obviously doctored to fit this missile narrative. I picked those things apart in a matter of minutes. Now, when I pressed uh you know, these responders on these questions and, and what reputable source the original videos and their information came from, because all people would reference were the screw tube videos made by wannabe Hollywood special effects artists, I received no answer. None could get me a reputable source. No one could provide video of a missile screaming across America heading to Nashville. Now, lastly, and this one's kind of my favorite, I guess, is no one is saying it was a bomb. My response here, uh, literally everyone from the investigators on scene, FBI, Nashville PD, bomb squad, whoever, to all the media, media outlets covering it are actually calling it a bomb. And that's, again, inclusive of all the experts on the scene. But you know what? I can sleep well at night knowing the Social Media Bureau, Bureau of Investigation is on this case. Now, while people are squabbling about dumb crap like I just mentioned, what are we missing? While our incompetent government agencies and employees are spending money like drunken sailors on leave. I have a few of a uh, few just the news articles here that are really going to cook you like a Christmas ham. The first one is by John Solomon, titled Casinos, Cruises, and Costco, How Federal Workers Abuse Their Travel Credit Cards. 
As always, I'll link, uh, link this in the description box. Solomon writes of a few instances pulled out of a report by the DOT's Inspector General. The report notes an employee who used their government credit card and spent $2,500 at Costco, other stores, and restaurants. The transactions went undetected, even though, even though the card was used near the employee's home and on vacation, not while traveling for official government business. The IG report notes that this is not an uncommon incident, as approximately 10% of all charges on DOT employees' cards were not in accordance with policy. Friends, that adds up to a total of $18.6 million last year. Shockingly, that wasn't the worst DOT example. The IG uncovered another employee that ran up $40,000 in charges, including a cruise, without ever traveling for official business. Even worse, the 2014 IG report flagged these issues and nothing was done. That IG report stated the DOT lacks robust internal controls to prevent these transactions. Huh. So they are not required to do an expense report? That's a pretty simple measure of control that all businesses use. Either do that or make people use their own cards and submit a list of expenses for reimbursement. Really not hard to uh, control these types of expenses and flag them. Now, this issue isn't limited to the DOT. The Bureau of Land Management employees ran up huge credit card bills between 2005 and 2012, with one person, surprisingly enough, being convicted of buying $40,000 in gifts for herself alone. But the granddaddy of them all may be the Pentagon, where employees racked up $100,000 in spending at strip clubs and more than $1 million. You heard that right, $1 million at casinos on their government credit cards. Next on the list of waste is the Postal Service. It's an annual entrant, I'm sure, on, on these types of lists. In an article by Sophie Mann, uh, also on uh, Just the News, I'll link it, she notes the USPS spent $5.7 million on idle trailers last year. Yes, you heard that right. They spent $5.7 million on trailers that did nothing but sit empty. This is the same post office that is constantly needing government bailouts. Well, I just found them $5.7 million. The problem here is that the USPS fleet is heavily dependent on leased trailers. So whether that trailer is moving or not, they are paying for it. Really an easy solution here, buy the trailers. It's a one-time sunk cost, according to an OIG report. This would be more cost-effective than leasing them. The last article I'll note here is also by Sophie Mann. This one is about how the Department of Energy sunk half a billion dollars of your hard-earned money on a failed solar power plant. This plant recently filed for bankruptcy without ever becoming fully operational. You Again, you heard that right. This plant never fully functioned. This plant, called the Crescent Dunes Solar Plant, received $737 million in loans from, you guessed it, 
the Obama administration, all part of the 2009 porculus bill. This plant continually missed operational deadlines, had repeated equipment failures, and had only one customer. Now, that's not exactly a winning formula for a successful business or a successful power plant in this case. The DOE continued to fund this absolute loser of a project right up until the last possible moment instead of doing the responsible thing and cutting bait and moving on when it became apparent that this thing wasn't ever going to work. And best, and by that I mean the worst part of this, is that last year the plant equipment there experienced a catastrophic failure, leaving it inoperable and causing its loan customer to terminate its contract. Now before I move on to the Pence electoral stuff, let's finish our chat on wasted money by our government by lowlighting what our Congress would rather spend the money on rather than helping uh, Americans with this latest pork bill that they're shoving out as far, you know, calling it a COVID relief bill when it's basically seems like it's a world relief bill here. Trump signed the pork fest, noting that he needed to help fight for the American people. Fair enough, people are, are we're losing their benefits or unemployment benefits and, and, you know, holiday season short on money. I get it. He's our our president. He likes to fight for us and he wants to fight for us. I don't fault him for signing it at all. Now, in signing it, President Trump invoked the Impoundment Control Act of 1974, which I'll get to more in a minute since we have the blue checkmark brigade riling everyone up with misinformation about what it actually is. So before our lesson, our lesson in the Impoundment Act, Let's look at this uh, Federalist piece on the eight craziest items in the Porculus Bill. Paulina Enk notes these in her article, eight of the craziest items in the $900 billion COVID blue state bailout bill. Now, this bill is an abomination of special interest causes and pure stupidity. We all know that. The first one, uh, in the most familiar, I think everybody is, uh, has been uh, noting, with uh, coming in with $25 million to Pakistan, $15 million for supposed democracy programs, $10 million for gender programs. Uh, just, that's just unbelievable uh, how you can stiff the American people and, and send stuff overseas for crap like that. Now, next, we have a, another $40 million to the Kennedy Center after they got $25 million in the first round. million for a place with a huge endowment and that has been closed all year. Now, my friend Tom did a deep dive into the Kennedy Center's finances. Uh, That piece is called Auditing the Kennedy Center. I'll post the link in the description box. Now, the bottom line from this article is uh, there's at best major conflicts of interest with 14 congressional officials on the board of directors. You heard that right. 14 current congressional officials, elected officials on the board of directors. And to me, I look at this and at worst, the potential exists for the Kennedy Center to be used to launder money. And this I I base off its healthy financial position and questionable board membership. And really, in Tom's article, he gets into the pay structure of the employees itself. I encourage you to read the article. It's a, it's a great read and really lays out 
the Kennedy Center and, and the finances there and how it really is a bit of a sham that this place is getting more money. Now, this pork fest also includes $1.5 million for the Office of Diversity and Inclusion of the Appropriations Committee. One, why the hell is that even a thing? And two, why are they getting money? We the people, in a bill meant to help American people hurt by the China virus, are shelling out $200 million on new cars for foreign HIV and AIDS workers. Other things this bill funds is educational campaigns to, now wait for it, teach Americans to not put flammable liquids next to open flames. Yes, friends, we have such a lack of common sense in this country that we need educational campaigns to tell people to not put open flames next to gasoline. Although, had we had these educational programs earlier, maybe Antifa and BLM would not have burned down our cities. Also included is appropriations for funding research for the 1908 Springfield race riot. Well, that's awesome. We are going to learn the history first and then try to erase it. The last thing I'll highlight here is something that may make all the degenerate gamblers out there happy. The bill calls for a formation of a committee to enact anti-doping measures in horse racing. It also bans the use of tranquilizers before the races. Hey, when you take your pittance of a stimulus to the track, at least you can have confidence that the race will be free from doped up horses. As I mentioned, Trump invoked the Impoundment Control Act in signing the bill. President Trump also asked for a rescission of the wasteful spending in the bill and sent a redline bill back to Congress uh, outlining these things. This predictably got the blue checkmark brigade going, saying the waste will be taken out, that Trump didn't cave, etc. Trump didn't, uh, didn't cave, I agree with that, but the Impoundment Act isn't what the blue checks are purporting it to be. Remember, Congress has power of the purse. The Impoundment Act was enacted to reinforce that. I'll link the whole explanation in the description box, but long story short, it outlines the procedure by which the president can request spending reductions in a new bill. And it puts a 45-day hold on the spending of the current bill he signed and was passed by Congress. Trump's redlined items accomplishes the first part, which then kicks in the 45-day hold on spending. After the 45 days, if a new bill isn't passed with the changes that were requested, the funds are released to be spent. I don't expect any reductions in the poor Congresses uh, putting out there. They're under no obligation to change the bill. The only thing invoked by requesting rescission is a 45-day hold on the spending. These spineless Congress people are not likely to change the bill at all. And now I'll finish up, as promised, with Mike Pence and his options on January 6th. I have two articles from The American Thinker with actually opposing viewpoints. One is by Ted Noel, titled, It's for Mike Pence to Judge Whether a Presidential Election Was Held at All. And one by Mike Robinson, titled, No, It's Not Time for a Congressional Hail Mary. In Noel's article, the premise is Pence has the constitutional authority and duty to determine whether an election took place at all. Noel notes 
the seven contested states clearly violated their own laws. I don't think anybody disagrees with that there. And that we must consider that an election is a process of counting votes for candidates that are only valid lawful votes. Noel goes on to state that any process that does not follow these rules is not an election and that anything that proceeds from it cannot be regarded as having any lawful import. Noel notes that Pence is a gentleman who regards our governmental traditions with a degree of reverence, so he will be reluctant to take any bold action. Now remember this statement, it'll form the basis of my theory on what happens come January 6th. Robinson, on the other hand, is of the mind that this really should be kicked back to the state legislatures to fulfill their constitutionally granted right to pick electors instead of taking the easy road out. They have the evidence from the hearings to tell the certifiers in each contested state that we as a legislature are taking our constitutional right to appoint electors given that the testimony of witnesses throws the results in doubt. Robinson notes that this mess is the state's doing, that the emergency provisions of federal law and the Constitution were not intended to give uh, any legislature a way to avoid a politically unpleasant decision, and that neither Congress nor the President of the Senate should be expected to second-guess what any state intends to do. So where does this leave us? My view is in a couple of places. One, in no way is Pence a traitor disloyal to Trump, both for reasons noted earlier and for the fact that the jellyfish Republican legislatures punted their dirty work to Pence. They held hearings at which sworn testimony was presented, and instead of doing what was constitutionally granted to them in sending the correct electors, they took the easy road out and sent a second set of electors. Could Pence throw them all out? Yes, but given that earlier statement that he's not likely to be bold, he will likely go with the certified electors, not the alternates or even throwing them out altogether. If he goes the route of taking the certified results, that will most certainly kick off challenges that seem to be gaining more and more momentum every day from various uh, House of Representatives, Representatives members. Those challenges are not going to win, period. Those coming forward saying they'll challenge the results should put that effort towards pressuring their colleagues at the state level to do their constitutional duty. That will be time better spent. One thing is certain, this isn't on Pence to sort out, and in no way makes him a traitor. Anyone suggesting otherwise because Lynn Wood is tweeting that he is, is absolutely foolish. The honest truth is Lynn Wood should know the legal route and constitutional options and should not be tweeting out emotional BS. He's only making it look like he's deflecting because his own challenges have failed, and I have yet to see anything major from him publicly as he keeps claiming to have. Now maybe he does, and if so, now is the time to push it all in. Friends, there's a lot for us to be angry about, and definitely places we should be directing that anger. One another isn't one of them. Squabbling amongst ourselves because someone dared challenge a position that is not supported by any sense of logic or reality is just not helpful. We need to direct that energy at our government's wasteful behavior and at our spineless elected representatives for not standing up to garbage spending bills and their constant punting of their constitutionally prescribed duties. 
If we redirect our efforts, we'll all get moving in the same direction, unified, which will be way more powerful than any politician. Friends, that's my show for today. Thank you for listening. If you're listening on a platform that allows reviews, uh, I'd greatly appreciate it if you left a positive review and subscribed. It'll help us move up the charts and help more people find the truth. I'm grateful you've chosen to spend some time with me. I would truly appreciate it if you would subscribe to and share my podcast with friends and family. Please email me feedback. My address is livingwithliberty at usa.com. Follow and ring my bell for updates at my social media home on Parlor. My handle is at livingwithliberty. Liberty isn't a given. We must continue to fight and protect it. Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time.